So when the fellow was strumming loudly on the guitar this evening, I was taken back to 1987. Three, three month practice period in Rangoon, Burma, which is Yangon, Myanmar now. And I was at a monastery, and some of you, I've talked a story, talk story about practicing in Burma before, but I, was, I happened to be in a monastery that was in some way like a Dharma Disneyland. Uh, 84 buildings, um, loudspeakers with, with Pali suttas, sutras going nonstop. That's in the monastery proper. Of course, outside the monastery there were loudspeakers broadcasting the festivals from the Muslim community, from the Christian community, from the more festivals per capita than any place on earth. So of course when I went to Burma I was under the illusion that I would go to this very quiet monastery and have a deep meditative practice period and I was there for three months and and I was initially in shock, absolutely in shock. On top of the, the loudspeakers, because the community, the Sangha in uh, countries where Buddhism is so entrenched in the culture, the Sangha is trained on that, in that first teaching that the Buddha offered in generosity, encouraged to practice giving because it gladdens the heart, gives the gift to the giver, gift to the receiver, but also because you earn merit. And um, you earn merit for potentially uh, fortuitous future birth. So some of it's a little bit, um, I'm going to get my merit. And that I don't want to impose my opinions about that but nevertheless there's the spirit of Donna is very big there so they just keep giving buildings and in order for those buildings to be built they gather together construction materials and so literally day in and day out on top of the loudspeakers was rebar pounding shaping you know forging and on top of that the building that I happened to be living in was the, it was a building that was exclusively pretty much for the, for the uh, Western monks and Western lay practitioners like myself. And there were about 27 of us. And the rest of it was six or 700 nuns, six or 700 monks. I mean, there was a lot of people practicing and hundreds of lay Burmese as well in different buildings. So my building backed on the border of the, of the property and my open window, which had no 
it had no windows. It was just, <laughs> it was just bars and, and in fact, I had no screens either. And so I lived under a mosquito net. It's very romantic. <laughs> but anyway, on top of the loudspeakers, the rebar, the festivals, was the neighbor pounding her laundry. That's what I would awaken to, her pounding her laundry and playing full blast on the radio uh, Madonna music. <laughs> so it wasn't long before I realized that if my well-being, the peace of my practice, the peace of my mind was dependent on the circumstances uh, I was in. If it depended on there being quiet and the place made in my image of a, <laughs> a suitable meditation environment, I was going to be quite happy, unhappy. And it's just such a, it's always such a teaching. And I think it's a, especially Im, important with our current uh, political situation here, presented with so many things that are hard to bear, that are just so offensive to our uh, caring hearts, that if, our, if we make our well-being dependent on things turning out the way we want them to, we will be, become part of the unhappiness, continue to be part of the unhappiness. And the teachings remind us that it is possible and in fact it is recommended as the most radical social action that you can engage in is to, in spite of all conditions, to be unconditionally happy and well, to incline toward a well-being that doesn't depend on conditions. And to use as your, as your means of finding well-being to go seek your well-being in that which can really provide it. Because we can certainly see that, the, that getting people to conform to the way you want them to be, that it's not exactly a reliable refuge a reliable <laughs> means of, of happiness. To get our minds to cooperate, to get our bodies to cooperate, to get our politicians to cooperate, to get our neighbors here to cooperate. It's uh, more often than not, not always, it's, it is what we saw, often say, it's beyond our will and our wish. It is anatta, not in control, not self, not mine to be controlled. And to the degree that I cling to my view of um, 
how you should be and how everyone should be. I will, when you don't conform, I'll, I'll suffer. So everything that we do here is about social action, really. You know, part of our social action is to engage in whatever way we can to, uh, to create the most wholesome, loving, uh, sane, non-harming way of living together, to live wisely and ethically and lovingly. And we do as much action as we can to do that in, in all our relationships and our work and how we do our work and what kinds of things you do for how you volunteer or maybe your work is uh, kind of an outer form of activism. But if you look at the things that we are being active about, they're, in some ways, they are outer expressions of what the Buddha described as the three, uh, the three poisons, the three root causes of suffering. We just see the, we, we know them in our mind, but we also see them outwardly, the three root causes of suffering, the three poisons, greed, in the mind or in greed in the world, hatred and ill will in the mind, divisiveness, contentiousness, anger in the mind and in the world, and delusion, ignorance. You know, to me, the, the, such a painful example of delusion our fundamental delusion is the delusion of separateness that we somehow live completely independently apart from from others from nature or from each other and one of the most lethal expressions of of this delusion of separateness is the excessive identification with country nationalism, the identity with, with these uh, artificial boundaries that were agreed upon and then people fight over them. And you know, of course this has been happening for a long time. But when that one politician, a Republican Congress person, I don't remember what his name was, said when describing and speaking about the the children in the detention centers and the, on the border said, these are not our kids. These are not our kids. If that isn't the epitome of a misunderstanding of our, of our nature. And I, when I was thinking about that during the sitting tonight, these are not our kids, I was thinking of the, of this chant that I've done for years uh, when after uh, it, on retreats mostly and sometimes here on, on Tuesday night when speaking about uh, about the nature of our mind the nature of consciousness that which we can we can experience very directly we can sense very intimately that what we call our mind, our mind nature, our mind essence, it is, um, 
it has no boundaries. It has no height, it has no depth, it has no color, it has no shape, it has no inside, it has no outside. And when you awaken to the nature of the mind, you see that there is no you that exists independently and there is no other. There's nobody else's kids. That everyone is our kids. And I was thinking about this chant that I, whenever I used to give talks on the nature of the mind, I would often end them by sharing the words of the Hindu uh, guru, uh, Neem Karoli Baba, that was put to music by Jai, uh, Jai Uttal, who used to be, at the time that he wrote this music, uh, his name was Jai Gopal, <laughs> but he's now, now Jai Uttal. And he put the words of Neem Karoli Baba to music and he, and I'll, I'll chant it for you right now. And just hear the, hopefully the wisdom in this contrasted to, these are not our kids. This is the refrain from the song. I am like the wind, no one can hold me. I belong to everyone, no one can own me. The whole world is my home, all are my family. I live in every heart, I will never leave thee. Oh, crystal tears, oh, taking away my fears. These words just express I, I don't need to really even explain them. They're just so obvious that uh, delusion sees us as existing uh, so separately apart from each other. Wisdom sees us as, uh, as, as everything. Uh, or love sees us as everything. As Nisargadat Maharaj says, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Uh, love tells me I'm everything. Between these two, my life flows. So, what we see in the world is greed and hatred and ignorance on full display. And what we practice with the Dharma is the training, the, the retraining of our minds and hearts, our actions that have become systemically infected by uh, greed, hatred, and delusion. We're human, so we all have some measure of greed, hatred, and delusion. But we counteract that by practicing the Dharma. And the practicing of the Dharma is the training of what's the antidote for greed? Generosity. The giving to life. What's the antidote to hatred? is love, is caring, is non-harming, is being ethical, is being moral. And what's the antidote for ignorance is wisdom. We're moral, we're ethical, we're loving because whatever we do to another, we're actually doing to ourselves. There is no other. These are our children.
So we practice the Dharma. So in the midst of this sea of greed, hatred, and delusion, we can easily just become part of the part of the greed, hatred, and delusion. I, I think I've disclosed, confess my delusions, confess my habit of having a really hard time um, keeping from experiencing a lot of ill will right now and keeping my heart open, especially to those who I start thinking frequently as other, those who disagree, <laughs> I disagree with. But I, I have to remember that they're not other. And so I, I have to, and hopefully you have to, think about what you are doing with your heart and mind and your, your actions. What are you doing with body, speech, and mind? Are you inclining toward greed, hatred, and ignorance? Or are you inclining toward, toward generosity and, and love and wakefulness, wisdom, clarity. So clarifying what our intention is, clarifying what we're actually doing with our minds. That's why we practice to ceaselessly scan what we are practicing. What is, what, how is our, what's our mind doing? Where is it going? And I've just, I've been really struggling with my mind inclining toward ill will. Um, so one of the protections, one of the ways that, that I feel really protected, in the most immediate sense, it's sitting with you and reminding myself and reminding you. Um, but I... I really, uh, every day, I am reminded that, uh, and I try to remind myself that my source of relief, my refuge, is in um, in a, in being awake and being aware in awareness or in, in the Buddha. Buddha means awake. My refuge every day is in living in harmony, in tune with what's actually real. Not, you know, when we, when we want refuge in our lives in general, when we're, when we're in distress, you know, we seek friends or when we, um, when we're really in a state of uncertainty, we tend to adopt very um, tend to adopt really strong beliefs and cling to opinions. When we're dying, <laughs> which we all are, remember, sinking ships from the moment we're born. <laughs> Definition of birth, leading cause of death. But when we're dying, we tend to and look to some kind of spiritual, some kind of eternalism, some kind of everlasting life, some, something we can um, believe in. But in the Dharma, we, 
we go to uh, what's real. We go to the reality of sickness, aging, and dying. We go to living in harmony with truth. We go to... Um, so we go to wakefulness. We go to living in harmony with the way things are. It's called going to the Dharma for refuge. The, the law of nature, how things are. And Dharma is also truth. We go to the truth. And reality is, is in some ways the truth. Now, I don't mean the idea of reality. Like, this is reality right here. Just whatever your direct experience is. It's not the imagined past. That's not reality. That's, that's a kind of conceptual reality. And it's, reality is not the imagined future. That's just another, that's still in the realm of fantasy. I have Cahill Gibran said, yesterday is but today's memory. Tomorrow is today's dream. But with the Dharma, we go to, we see that the future doesn't exist. The past doesn't exist. They are, they are today's memories and today's fantasies. They're thoughts arising in real time, projected on a time that doesn't actually exist. So we, in the practicing the Dharma, we embrace reality, which is What's your experience right now? And it turns out that embracing the Buddha, awakeness, the Dharma, your immediate experience, the way things are, and in general the way things are in life, there's something in us that lets go. That just, that when in sync with, in harmony with reality, our nervous system starts to re-regulate itself. And what, what gives the strength to be able to, to sustain this recollection, this recollection that I go to the Buddha for refuge, to wakefulness. I go to the Dharma for refuge. Uh, what helps us is I go to the Sangha for refuge. I go to the community of people who live in accordance with the Four Noble Truths, with their suffering. What causes us to get carried along in the stream of suffering is this continual craving for things to be other than the way they are that manifests itself as grasping greed and hatred and then the delusion of time gets created again and again and I take refuge in the Sangha that reminds me oh there's another way to live there's another way to live I knew I wouldn't be able to find it. <coughs> oh yeah, here it is. The Sangha reminds us, do not pursue 
the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. We must be diligent today to wait until tomorrow is too late. Death comes unexpectedly. How can we bargain with it? The sage calls a person who knows how to dwell in mindfulness night and day, one who knows the better way to live. So the Sangha reminds us of that. Sangha reminds us of that the whole world, this is from the Buddha, the whole world we travel with our thoughts, finding nowhere anyone as precious as one's own self. Since each and every person is so precious to themselves, let the self-respecting harm no other being. We're reminded that non-harming brings well-being and happiness. Hatred has never ceased by hatred, but by love alone. We, we, we mirror that back to each other. In Sangha, we are reminded to that this world is fleeting. Everything is in a state of ceaseless flux. We're mirrored back for letting go. And we share together the Diamond Sutta. Thus shall we think of this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom and a dream. Well, sang- to me, Sangha is, the, is the, just the reminder of all the teachings, it's a reminder of the Dharma, it's a reminder of the Buddha. And the Buddha and the Dharma, it's a reminder that we are, we're not just victims of our circumstances, that we can train our hearts and minds. That, as Hafez put it, you carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into a nightmare. Don't mix them. You, turn, you carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them, mix them. And in the Native American tradition, we have that, we're reminded of that same volition to incline our mind toward non-harming and well-being. The famous Cherokee story about the grandfather who says to his grandson, a fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight in between two wolves. One wolf is evil and ugly. He's anger, envy, war, greed, self-pity, sorrow, regret, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, selfishness, and arrogance. The other wolf is beautiful and and good. He is friendly, joyful, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, 
benevolence, justice, fairness, empathy, generosity, true compassion, gratitude, and deep vision. The same fight is going on inside of you and inside of every other human as well. Grandson paused in deep reflection because of what the grandfather had just said. And then he finally cried out, Oi, grandfather, which wolf will win? The elder Cherokee replied, The one that you feed. And the Buddha, chiming in, says, Whatever one frequently thinks about, dwells upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. So we may not be able to create, uh, we'll do our part, our radical part to create a peaceful world, a more just world, more more embracing our diversity, making sure that there is uh, equity and uh, at least here, complete inclusion. I love seeing on the door tonight uh, in Spanish the, uh, I think it was the uh, refugees and there were two things, refugees and something welcome here. Just, it's, it's so sensible. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Love, inclusion, that's what allows people to feel safe, not hardening the borders. That doesn't make us safe just makes us more fearful of somebody sneaking through. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. I don't. So rather than go to refuge in shopping and, and blame, demand, and following all those so-called unwholesome inclinations of the mind, we, we go to the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha for refuge, community. Um, so let's, if you're willing, just to re-up our commitment to sanity, to wisdom, to caring, to, uh, to giving to life, uh, let's along with the many millions who have done this over generations and millions who are doing it every day in monasteries and meditation centers, let's do the, let's commit to the refuges, not just as an outer formality, but as a, an inner commitment, as a direct, almost a direct transmission to yourself of your own wakefulness and your own good heart and your own your own clarity and wisdom, and your own participation in, in this community tonight. So, essentially in Pali we'll be chanting uh, uh, 
homage to the Buddha. Now that's, it's more reflecting on the, on the historical Buddha, but what you can think of it as the Buddha within. Homage to the Buddha, the perfectly enlightened one, the enlightened nature of your own mind. And then we do three times, I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge. And we'll do it call and response, so you don't have to know it, but we'll do it in Pali, and this kind of links us to the thousands of years that people have been uh, chanting in this way. It's closely related to the language that uh, the Buddha used. I'll do a very brief introduction, then we do it call and response. Han tamayan buddharatana satinayan jakaromase namo tasa. Your turn. Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Buddhang Saranang Gachami Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangam Saranang Gachami Dutyampi Buddhang Saranangachami Dutyampi Dhammang Saranangachami Dutyampi Sangam Saranangachami Tatiampi Buddhang Saranangachami Tatiampi Dhammang Saranangachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranangachami Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.